Welcome to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's about the Bills and the beer. Now, here's your host, John Murphy. Hello there and welcome to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. I'm John Murphy. We're brought to you by Sullivan's of Kilkenny, Ireland, the makers of Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Irish Gold Ale, and Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. You can find it at your favorite tavern or pub or in upstate New York, the Buffalo area, throughout upstate New York. You can find it in New York City, northern New Jersey. Uh, where else? Columbus, Ohio, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Cleveland, Ohio, down in Georgia, Atlanta, several other places, Savannah, Georgia, several other places throughout the country. Sullivan's. Sullivan's Brewing Company, our sponsors. This week, we're going to talk about beer and football. We're going to talk about beer in a moment with Brett Tupai. He is the senior brand manager for McCraith Beverages, based in Utica, New York. We're going to talk with him about his business. We're going to talk about the three-tier system, you know, how they do it. Breweries, wholesalers like uh, McCraith Beverages, and, of course, retailers. We'll talk about how beer is distributed and sold throughout the country with Brett Tupai. That's coming up in a moment or two. On the football side, I think it's a good week to talk about the business, the football business of the NFL. As we uh, take this on Monday morning, the trade deadline is tomorrow, and teams are going to be busy. We know that. Teams are going to be making moves. So some of this may be dated by the time you hear it. Maybe some of it won't. But we're going to talk with a guy who keeps his finger on the pulse of a business in the National Football League, Mike Giannitti. He's a Western New York native. He's the man behind the website SpotTrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, SpotTrack.com. He's got his own podcast, the the SpotTrack Podcast. And he's got a Twitter site as well. Mike Janid will talk with us about the salary cap, contracts, and how that factors in to the trade deadline this week in the NFL and how it factors into the business of the NFL. It's not just football, unfortunately, right? There's a lot of business involved. We'll talk with Mike Janid about that coming up in a moment or two. We'll talk about the Bills right here. They are at the midpoint of their season now, 6-2. and two. I've said it before. They are, I believe, on schedule at 6-2. and two. They are pretty much where we thought they might be with a six-win, two-loss record. It's not the way we figured it would go. They didn't get the six and two the way we figured it might go, but there they are. A 4-0 start. They were uh, they had offensive explosion in the first four games, right? They looked unstoppable in the passing game as well. Started out 4-0. Since then, they've gone 2-2, two and two, two wins, two losses. The offensive explosion is gone for now anyway, but I think they've demonstrated a varied offense, and I think that's a good sign. They've shown that they can switch gears if they have to. They can throw it. They can throw it short, as they did to beat the Jets. They can run the ball 190 yards this past Sunday when they beat the Patriots. I think they've showed a a, a diverse way of attacking teams offensively, and I think that's clearly a good sign for what lies ahead for the Buffalo Bills, the diversity they've shown in their offense. They have issues. There's no question they have issues, right? On the offense, you got to worry a lot about the offensive line, the injuries they've had, Mitch Morse this past Sunday. Um, the injuries that they're dealing with on the offensive line. Uh, The rushing offense came around in a big way against the Patriots, as we said, 190 yards. I think that's a template for how they can continue forward, but they've got to get that offensive line healthy. They've got to get healthy. I think Devin Singletary, Zach Moss have demonstrated that, yes, they can do it. They are the guys who can uh, carry the weight when it comes to the running game, but the offensive line is going to have to be healthy. Josh Allen is developing. I think he's had a good first half of the season. I do. And the development, the diversity of the Buffalo offense, I think, is in large measure due to the development of Josh Allen. He no longer has to force it deep. He no longer has to run when he gets in trouble. He's, he's found other answers. I think he's getting good coaching, by the way, from Brian Dayball in particular and his offensive coaches, demonstrating for him that there are other ways to do it. 
you know, to not just force the ball into coverage, to not take off and run when you feel a little bit of pressure. I think that's good. I think that's big for Josh Allen. He is nowhere near a finished product, but I think because of Brian Dable's uh, expertise and and putting him in good situations in particular, and Ken Dorsey as well, his quarterback's coach, I think Josh Allen has developed and taken some significant steps forward in the first half of this season. Now to the Buffalo defense. Big issue, the Buffalo defense, and the biggest issue of all the front seven, I believe. Look, they've got injuries all over the defense, but up front, um, in particular, the linebacker depth with the injuries now, Edwards, Tremaine Edmonds, rather. Tremaine Edmonds came up with an injury this past Sunday. Who knows how serious that'll be. Matt Milano, getting some playing time, played about 25% of the snaps Sunday uh, against the Patriots as he has that pec muscle that they're trying to kind of manage and get him back. That depth at linebacker is an issue because they're not real deep there. We mentioned it before the season began. Maybe the weakest part of the uh, lineup was the depth at linebacker. Defensive line, do they make a trade for a defensive lineman? Many people think they should. Many people believe they should be in the market for a big defensive lineman who can help out those linebackers. We'll see if that happens in the trade deadline. Should they trade for a cornerback? They've had issues there. Josh Norman now is out for a while. Uh, Levi Wallace just came back, but do they need help there? Mike Giannitti coming up in the next segment says, uh, yeah, a corner should be one of their priorities. And Giannitti has some candidates for that position and other positions as well. But overall, the Bills, 6-2. and two, on schedule, I think, six wins in the first half. If they get six wins in the second half, that'd be great. But overall, it's, it's a weird year in the National Football League for the Bills and others. A lot of it is just trying to stay healthy, right? Trying to be COVID-free, I think, is a big as uh, a big point of emphasis for the Bills and other teams. Bills injuries with Edmonds, Josh Norman, Cody Ford on the offensive line, Mitch Morse, they will impact how the second half of the season goes. There's no question about that. And the next five weeks, I believe, are critical weeks for the Bills. Toughest part of the schedule, right? They've got the two games coming up, Seattle, Arizona, then the bye week. They come back after the bye and face the Chargers. Then it's Pittsburgh after that. I mean, they've really got a a tough stretch ahead. They've really got tough games coming up. And I think the next five games, the next five weeks anyway, are going to impact what kind of a season they have because they're hurt, they're banged up, and because uh, they're tough teams coming up. Are they going to be a a 9 or 10 win team? Pretty good team, probably make the playoffs with 9 or 10 wins. Okay, that's where they were last year, let's face it. Or do they have 11 or 12 wins in them? I can't answer that. I don't know. I think they have the capability, if they're healthy, to at least make a run at 11 or 12 wins. But the way they're banked up right now and kind of the way they're playing, 11 or 12 wins looks like an outside shot. But we'll see. They'll make that decision as they move forward, and we'll see what they do at the trade deadline and see how they they handle the injuries, right? That's the biggest key, I believe, the injuries. All right, we're going to talk about the Bills and beer on the uh, podcast this week. We're going to talk about beer in a couple of minutes with Brett Tupai of McCraith Beverages in the Utica area. We're going to talk about the Bills in the NFL coming up next with our buddy Mike Giannitti, the founder and the man behind SpotTrack.com. That's coming up next. Stay tuned. It's the Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff, our podcast, and this week we're going to deal with the business of the NFL trade deadline this week, and we thought it's a good time at midseason to check in on what's going on around the league in terms of business. We've got one of the foremost experts on NFL business and really professional sports business on the line with us, Mike Giannitti, the man behind SpotTrack, the website SpotTrack.com. He's got his own SpotTrack podcast, Mike Giannitti, a Western New Yorker. And Mike, you follow uh, the business side of the NFL and all sports, right? It's, it's a nice little niche you have for yourself. 
Yeah, it's been about 12 years now. Thanks for having me on the show, John. Appreciate it. It's been a, a lot of fun, a lot of work. This has been, of course, a, a unique year where everything's kind of mashed together here in the fall all at once. So we've had to sort of, uh, you know, allocate our resources accordingly because we're in the middle of three uh, sports off seasons. And then, of course, now we're right in the middle of the NFL season as well. So it's been unique. But yeah, taking it all on at once has been a challenge, but, uh, you know, it's made me a little bit smarter, right? Yeah. You know, I was thinking, Mike, about uh, our different approaches. Uh, let's talk about the NFL for a second. And, you know, from being around the Bills for so long, uh, I, I uh, developed personal relationships and, and knowledge of people. And and I guess I'm not the – I just – I guess it's uh, – Claire, I'm putting you in the bin of an entirely different aspect of NFL coverage, which is the business side. That's really why I appreciate your website and your – your take because it's important what goes on on the business side, but we approach the NFL from different ways and yours is equally as important as anybody's, right? Yeah, that was really the whole point of the, of the site, John, is this information was out there in sort of little pockets of the, you know, the New York Times and those kind of places, right? But uh, I, I agreed. I thought it was important. It, it kind of brings a whole different side of a fan to the sport because you have to, you know, consider moves and consider options differently when you're thinking about football or, or the sport versus the business side of it. And I think, uh, you know, the fan bases across the sports world have gotten more in tune with why things are happening, what may happen. You know, you know, we're, we're going to sit here today and talk about an NFL trade deadline. It's all business, right? I mean, there's some yeah. teams that are trying to trying to get better towards a uh, postseason push. But for the most part, this is about shedding cap, and especially for next year when who knows what's going to happen with the money here. One more question before we dig into the NFL trade deadline. Would you say your website, Track, and your podcast, um, are most consumers of those, are they people who, you know, fancy themselves a, an NFL general manager type? Is that what they're doing is playing the game of general manager, do you think? Yeah, we get our, our, you know, armchair GMs for sure, you know, our power users, but, you know, the fantasy guys and gals get into this stuff because, you know, expiring contracts, you know, all that sort of stuff, who's going to be on the move to different teams. Um, there's a wide variety of audiences. Certainly the media, you know, keeps up with it so they can keep up with the number side of things. But um, yeah, this is about, and we've sort of built the tools accordingly to, to, to facilitate those kind of fans, right. That want to actually maneuver the bills roster and make a trade in, in all the various sports. Uh, that's been the fun part of it is sort of the, uh, the functionality of, of, of putting these people into the GM role and allowing them to sort of play with the numbers. All right, with Mike Janitti of SpotTrack, and this is the time if you're interested to look at his website, SpotTrack.com, S-P-O-T-R-A-C.com. He's got his own SpotTrack website. We're talking to you this week of the NFL trade deadline, Mike, and as we tape this on Monday morning, uh, the deadline is uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, but we're still talking about it. Um, why is the NFL trade deadline coming at midseason as it is why is that an important business state for the NFL? What makes it so important? Well, I, I kind of buried the lead there. It's about shedding cap for a lot of these bad teams, right? I mean, they've got some, some ancillary players that they know can help other teams right now at least a little bit. But from, I think the, the flip side is the more interesting part of this, John. There, there is still so much value in acquiring a player right now. There just is. I mean, we've seen some of these smaller trades over the past couple of days. And you're giving up six, seventh round draft picks. Those are nothings. Those are throw-ins. We, you know that. If it's not, if it's not inside the top 120 of the draft, really, there's just almost no value to it. So you're getting players for free. I mean, some of the players on my list right now, and on, on the top of the website, they're going to cost you less than a million dollars for the for the rest of the year. That's incredible value for a player that can make an impact for eight weeks. So to me, that's what this deadline's all about. It's about, you know, if you're a buyer, you're buying low. And if you're a seller, it's just about getting two, three, four million dollars off your cap that can roll over to next year and help you out a little bit. 
One more non-trade deadline question for you, if I may. Um, has the And you deal with the salary cap, uh, as your sign says, cap hits, contracts, and salaries. As the NFL salary cap has increased over the years, has the cap become less significant, less important in dictating how teams do business? Or maybe because of the, where this year's cap, next year's cap is headed, will it become more important? Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think, I think it has. I think if this was going to be a traditional year where next year another $10 million increase happens, we're probably to a point where there's too much cap. And I really believe that. I think we are at a point where there was too much flexibility. Teams could do whatever they want. You were seeing players get cut really for no reason, right? I mean, uh, you know, you just saw what the Chiefs did this offseason, signing five core players to massive contracts. When you've got a team that can do that, that can keep every major player on a basically, you know, historical contract, that's probably too much cap. That's probably too much flexibility. You want to be able to control things financially a little bit. Uh, but really, it's more about cash now. You know, the cap and cash conversation is now a- as big a gap as ever because there is cap space to use. But do you want to spend $300 million in cash as a payroll for your team? That's where owners are starting to put down the, uh, the, their, foot, their feet a little bit and say, no, 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 we're not going to do that, uh, you know, on an annual basis. That's what the Falcons and the Rams are looking at right now. Nobody knows for sure. Revenues are, are down in the NFL because there are no real uh, meaningful ticket sales. The cap will go down next year as well, right? And teams will have to adjust. At least $10 million in my opinion. They, they've put out there that it could go down $25 million. I don't think we're going to get to that point. But I bet we're in the 180s uh, next year, whereas right now we're high 90s. Interesting. Mike Giannitti from Track is with us. Mike, I noticed that uh, on this Monday morning, you, you tweeted this after eight weeks of football. How many quarterbacks in the league are better on a consistent basis than Dak Prescott of the Cowboys was before the injury? I don't believe the answer is many. Tell me what you're thinking there. I, I, I've never been a big Dak Prescott fan, but you make an interesting point. Yeah, I, I've been tempered with him as well. You know what I mean? I think he's got a ceiling and he's shown it. But at this, on the flip side of that, John, He's also shown that he's consistently who he is. And we've seen so many quarterbacks be going up and down this year over the least over the past two seasons. You know, how, how many bad performances did we see yesterday across the league with, you know, players who are looking for a contract or players who just signed a contract, your golfs, your Wences. Uh, I just think we're having a lot of bad weeks on those players right now. And, you know, I'm questioning maybe 75% of the quarterback play in the league right now in terms of are they coming back on their current contracts or are they getting a new contract in the Allens and the Lamar Jackson conversation? Um, I just think Dak was on par with who he was. He was consistent. He played every game before this injury. Those are the kind of things you're looking for when you go to pay a guy. And I think his case to be, to be paid is now made more than ever in the league. Interesting. All right, Mike, uh, so the trade deadline is here this week, and let's talk a little bit about uh, what you see out there. You wrote a a piece on Track website. You talked about it on your podcast last week about Patriots cornerback Stephon Gilmore. You think uh, he's going to be traded, and maybe by the time our our listeners hear this, he will be gone from New England. Tell me the reason why. Well, you know, you've been following the Patriots now for the past 20 years very, very yeah. closely. You know that Belichick definitely doesn't say anything meaningful in, in front of the microphone, but he sure did this past week. I mean, he sure got he got in front of that microphone and basically said, everybody's open for business right now. And uh, and we're, we're trying to understand what we have to do to get ready for next year. More or less, that's what he said. I, I have to look immediately to Stefan Gilmar's contract, which basically has a dummy year next year. I mean, it's got seven and a half million dollars worth of cash next year. That's that's a third of what the top cornerback in the league makes. This kid, this kid was the defensive player of the year last year. So you, you know where this is going. Um, it's either going to be an outright release, a trade now, a trade next offseason, or or they extend him to a twenty million dollar per year contract. Well, that's not what the Patriots do. So 
my thinking is they're at least shopping him right now, trying to get a first round pick back and, and get themselves ready for the 2021 season. You know, it's interesting about Gilmore, who is, is a pretty good player and a great cover corner. But having watched three or four Patriots games, you know, last week and watched the way he, watching the way he plays, and then the fact that he's not able to play against the Bills this past Sunday, I wonder if he thinks his days are numbered in New England. It sounds he's acting like they are, in fact. I think both he and the team are slow playing this right now. Truly, I, th- I mean, there's a couple of names on my trade list, John, that didn't play. They were they were healthy scratches this week. That's a that's a clear sign that they're being held out for a trade, in my opinion. Um, but you're right, Gilmore's play has been down this year, but up, you know, prior to that injury. So teams are probably trying to push back now and not having to give up that first round pick. You know, if you can get Gilmore for a second right now, that's probably where a lot of teams are thinking. I do think Belichick pulls the trigger on this and gets it done, though. Who else is on that list you mentioned of uh, guys who did not play this past Sunday? Yeah, uh, we had a few. I mean, Jordan Howard's been, been a healthy scratch for about six weeks now, more or less. I mean, he's, he's just not touching the ball. We've seen Trent Murphy a couple times, John, in terms of the Bills, sit out a couple of weeks. And, you know, McDermott's kind of said that was a scheme thing. I had him heavily on a, on a release candidate list this offseason because of the cap number. I think maybe there's a, there's a chance to move him, although the, uh, the rookie they drafted behind him isn't looking great either. So maybe, I mean, maybe that's not the case. Uh, you know, everybody on the Falcons is open for business right now. Literally every single, every single player in that team. Um, if you go down the list a little bit, you, you know, who are the 49ers? Who are, who's the Washington team right now? And, and the Jets and Giants, uh, you know, <laughs> what can you say there? <laughs> what can you, it's a bad time to be New York football right now. You're right. Hey, uh, let me start with the, the Falcons. Uh, and you mentioned Julio Jones is a trade candidate. The Falcons have kind of ruled that out. But what do you see there about his contract that would make him a trade candidate this week? Look, they're saying that's not going to happen. There's, and I understand why they're doing it. You know, you got to hold a fan base together right now. It's the right time to trade Julio Jones. It really is. You're going to get maximum draft picks back. He is 31. He's still a top four, maybe top three wide receiver in football right now, especially on a better team. Um, and there's teams that want it. There's teams that are going to settle for Golden Tate that would give up the farm for Julio Jones right now. And uh, when that's the case, I think they really should be shopping because these are not small teams asking. My guess is Green Bay is asking, Chicago is asking, San Francisco is asking. You can get some serious draft compensation back for him. And, and where are you going? I mean, are, are you going to outright release Matt Ryan after this season, you know, which is ripping the Band-Aid totally off? If that's the case, what are you keeping on to this guy for? You know, Calvin Ridley's shown he can step in as the number one wide receiver. They've got a couple of uh, – of later draft picks that appear to be working out. Um, I think you got to do right by this guy and by your franchise in terms of, uh, you know, acquiring draft capital. That's going to make a difference for your team right now. Another good talented wide receiver, maybe top five, AJ green at Cincinnati, who you point out doesn't seem to be a fit with the Bengals these days, huh? No, I don't think so. I think, I think he sort of played himself out of that role. Joe Burrow can find anybody right now. He's, he's been excellent out of the gate here and that team got a big win this week. So they may be reluctant to move some of the pieces I have on this list, but um, I just don't think there's a lot of look, – look, I'm saying what I'm saying about A.J. Green just from the eye test, but I, I don't think there's a big market for him either. I don't think teams are calling for A.J. Green right now. So um, they may have to keep it and pay out the rest of that franchise tag and see what happens next offseason. But that, to me, that's a guy that's probably heading towards free agency and will need a prove-it deal to come back. You mentioned uh, Dolphins now backup quarterback Brian Fitzpatrick is a possible train candidate. You mentioned that he uh, – he kind of deserves to go someplace else. You don't always get what you deserve, by the way, Mike. <laughs> why is Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, – why would the Dolphins trade him away even as they go to Tua? 
it, it's not a good idea from Miami's standpoint, but if somebody comes calling, you have to at least, least, least listen, right? Because, you know, you don't want to give up that defense right now. I had Xavier and Howard in this list. They're not going to move him. I mean, they're, a, you know, they're right in the contention of the AFC East right now, and at least an AFC wildcard burst. So I, I have to imagine that they're not going to be selling pieces. But Fitzpatrick at least is somebody you listen to because of the options you can have. You, you can go and find a backup quarterback. They can sign Josh Rosen back off the, the Buccaneers practice squad to back up to if they need to. He's got some, uh, some experience there in Miami anyway. So I, I just think if, you know, if one of these NFC East teams or something like that calls or somebody out West who's trying, you know, San Francisco calls for, for a reliable backup, you just listen. If you can get a fourth-round pick for Ryan Fitzpatrick right now, you, you have to at least entertain that option. Yeah. And now back to the Bills for a second. And Trent Murphy, who's been the subject of trade rumors since, since really the preseason began, um, that is, you know – I can see why I'd be a trade candidate with because of the cap from a football standpoint. Uh, the Bills need help up front, front seven. Why would they trade away Trent Murphy, who can play? He's not awful. He's not awful, but like I mentioned, he has been benched, and yep. that's never a good sign. So I think the Bills can be buyers and sellers right now, and I think they should be. I think this is a good business move. It probably should have been a business release move that they made this summer, but uh, they can still shed some cap and move Murphy elsewhere for a later draft pick, but then also acquire somebody. I think they're in on defensive tackles and I think they're in on quarterbacks, right? Cornerbacks right now. Um, and I do think there's at least one big trade on each of those to make. So if you can, if you can shore up the defensive line and improve yourself and then also move on from Trent, Trent Murphy for maybe a fifth round pick, I would do that. That's the move I would make. All right. And as I said, we take this Monday and the deadline is Tuesday. So this may be dated by the time many of our listeners hear it, but if they're in on defensive tackles, who makes sense for the Buffalo Bills? What do you think? Yeah, I, we mentioned the New York football teams. I have to think that a lot of teams are looking to purge those rosters as much as possible. And the guy I have laid out for them is Delvin Tomlinson, who's a young – he looks good. He's a young kid. He's on the rookie contract. Um, you know, you'd have to probably extend him immediately coming, coming in. But that, that's a guy I like. You, you, you know, you put him next to the Ed Olivers of the world. I don't know what you're going to do with Star when you bring him back off of the uh, reserve list. But uh, – you know, I, I just like it as even if just a rental, even if it's just a, a good rental on a team that's going nowhere. We'll probably find out more about that tonight on Monday Night Football. But uh, to me, that's the name I'm looking at from the defensive tackle position. What about corners? There's some good ones, to be honest, John. There's some, there's some really good ones. I mean, I know Gilmore's the, uh, you know, the sexy conversation. I can't imagine that's going to happen. No, I'm not going um, anywhere near him based on no. the way he's played this year. Tell you. No, I'm not sure they need that because of right. having Tredavious on, on, the, on the shutdown side of it already. I like Desmond King from the Chargers. I think he's, he's, he, he could probably be had, although, you know, the Chargers are playing good football right now as well. I'm not sure they're outright selling, but that's a name I put on this list for sure. And, and look, can you pull somebody off of Detroit who's sort of surplus with cornerbacks right now? I'm not sure about that. Um, do they have to address the safety position as well now with Mike, Micah Hyde's situation and just really some down playback there as well? You know, can you pull Justin Simmons out of Denver, who I think is going nowhere on that Broncos defense in terms of contract? There, there's some rental players to be had. So there's probably a few, uh, you, know, you know, smaller names that McDermott's got his eye on and Bean has his eye on. But look, there's a, I've got a list of 40 players here and, you, you know, I wouldn't hate any of them. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, general question about the trade deadline is, is the timing right in the NFL for the trade deadline? There are eight games to go for the Bills, at least. Is this the time for the Bills and their potential trade partners to be deciding whether they're buyers or sellers? What do you think? I think it's a great question. I think it's always been a question of, of is it too early or not? I'd love to see this two weeks from now, two weeks, a little closer to Thanksgiving. You can, you can work that Thanksgiving week. 
have a huge business week with the trade deadline, then have your big Thanksgiving games. And it, it can kind of be the NFL's entire week, right? Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure eight weeks is enough because we've got so many teams right now in the middle of divisions. Uh, I think we'd see more movement if this was week 10 or week 11, to be honest. Yeah, teams would be ready to declare almost. Uh, we're not going anywhere. I'm ready to make a move. Hey, I want to get back to uh, quarterback Josh Allen as we kind of wrap things up. I, I think I think more of Josh's uh, uh, his ability and maybe his future than you do. But what about the Bills and and how are they? How much of what they're doing on this trade deadline and what they're doing from a general business standpoint? Uh, how much of it is is uh, depending on signing Josh Allen to a big deal? And do you see that coming? Maybe next year. Maybe next offseason. You know what's great about how Brandon Bean has worked this, John, is they absolutely don't have to do it. They, they don't have to sign Josh Allen. Because of how they'd staggered things, they've locked in Dawkins. You know, they've locked in Tredavious now, which to me were the big ones. Those are the big ones. You know, Milano they can wait on, even though his value has been shown this year. Yeah. Um, they don't have to do anything with Josh Allen next year. To me, they've done, they've done right by him. You drafted another third-round running back who clearly looks like he can play ball. You've gone out and you've, you've brought in the wide receiver one who is clearly a fit here. You're going to have to make a decision with John Brown. So I think you have to shore up that wide receiver core first and, and maybe figure out the tight end position because you may have a couple of swing and misses with Dawson Knox if he gets healthy here. But I, I want the offense to be ready for a Josh Allen contract because of everything I just talked about a little earlier in the show with these quarterbacks and how so many have been up and down, you know, I'm not sure that the Jared Goff, Carson Wentz situation are helping their teams right now. They're, they're hampering their team's ability to at least replace injured players, get better on an annual basis. That's you can't have that with the Bills. So if there's question marks at WR2 and tight end one and those kind of positions on the offensive side of the ball, you know, right tackle, Get those figured out. Give yourself one more year on Josh Allen. Exercise his fifth-year option and tell him this is the plan. We're, we're making sure we have the core intact for the next four years so that your guaranteed money makes sense for everybody. I think they can wait. They, they, Brandon Bean has afforded him the ability to wait, and, and that's a credit to him. One more, I guess, smaller consideration, Bill's question. Uh, Matt Milano, who, yes, he's valuable, but his, his injury status makes him a difficult yeah. decision, I think, to make when it comes to an extended contract, doesn't it? It does. It's a huge red flag. And, and unfortunately, we've seen too much of that in the league right now where you, you give a guy $12 million a year and he, uh, he can't stay on the field for, you know, seven, eight weeks of the year. So my guess is, John, and, and I wouldn't have said this six months ago to start the league year, my guess is they probably let him walk and they try to replace him in the draft, which is good business, unfortunately. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Hey, Mike, uh, we talked about the website Spot Track and what you do, and we should let our listeners know it's not just NFL and it's trade deadline week, but you're all over the place in terms of professional sports, right? Yeah, the NBA offseason started last week. Today is actually the start of baseball's free agency, so you know, we're right. going to be tracking those things. We're going to have an NBA draft in about 10 days here, so we'll be all over that. We just uh, finished the soccer offseasons. So we were big in on that. We've got tennis and, uh, and golf on the site now. And, uh, you know, the NHL is back in form as well. So, yeah, we're across the board. It's all kind of smashed together at once here. And uh, <laughs> it's fun. I'm, I'm enjoying every second of it. Are you a one-man operation, Mike? No, I've got a couple of guys that help out in terms of, the, of some of the uh, smaller sports yeah, and good. obviously the database stuff. I can't be sitting here managing all that stuff. But sure. I, I do a lot of the data work. I do a lot of the, you know, the podcast work and things like that. And uh, it's uh, more than I can handle at times, but I eat it all up. Last question for you. What's on your podcast? What's coming up next? 
Well, it's week eight of the NFL, and I've, uh, I've kind of abandoned the NFL talk for a couple of weeks here, so i got to get back on that because the NFL is king, as you know. I'm going to do like a mid-season rapid fire. Things I like, things I don't like, you know, which teams are probably selling and buying at this point, which teams are, uh, you know, just flat-out disasters, like I mentioned, the New York teams. But I'm going to go rapid fire in the NFL, and then I'll talk a little bit about how the MLB offseason works in terms of qualifying offers and things like that and get a little nerdy on baseball that's good i'll listen to that i subscribed the other day it's a great podcast the spot it's called spot track podcast right yeah we kept it simple the name's yeah. hard enough to say <laughs> <laughs> mike thanks for this good to talk to you and let's stay in touch you too stay well john okay thanks you're listening to sullivan's pro football kickoff with John Murphy. We're online now with a Sullivan's a fan, a guy who is the brand manager, the senior brand manager for McCraith Beverages in the Utica area. Brett Tupai joins us. Brett, how are you? Good to talk to you today. How are you doing? I'm awesome, John. How are you today? Doing great. Thanks. Thanks for coming on with us. Tell me about McCraith Beverages. Uh, just give us a kind of a capsule description of the company, Brett. Uh, McCraith Beverages is a distribution company, and they have a sister company up in Lake Placid as well. Uh, we service seven counties in central New York and three counties up in the Northeast. Uh, been around for well over 50 years, and um, I've worked for them for the past uh, 12 years, actually. Started when I was 19 as just a uh, summer helper on trucks. I've uh, been a merchandiser. I've just done just about everything for them. Uh, a little background story for me is when I was young, my dad actually owned a bar. And uh, I grew up in that bar. Of course, this was back in the day, smoking and everything. So I'm the little kid running around in those bars. And um, then I went to Oswego for college. I went for business, but it was a party school. So I partied my butt off and uh, drank quite a bit. But, you know, I got my business degree. And now here I am selling beer. So I like to call it my uh, Hallmark story. I'm waiting for my movie one day. <laughs> and uh, But McCraith overall, it's, it's been awesome working for them. Uh, they do a great job. They're the most buttoned up company in the area. Great relationships with on and off premise. And by that, I mean store retailers all the way to bars and restaurants. So obviously uh, this past year has been pretty interesting with sales overall, but um, everything's going smooth and, and hopefully everything will be back up and running um, sooner than later. Hey Brett, with your personal background, your family background, your dad owned a bar, and now you're working with McCraith, you have pretty good exposure to, what, two of the three main elements of, of the beer industry in the United States, uh, States. Can you tell us what those three elements are, the three different pillars of the beer industry, and, and how it, it works, if you would? Well, it really all starts with the breweries, um, whether it's importer or a producer in the States, and within the past few years, especially in the craft industry alone, uh, craft beer has exploded and you're seeing a, a lot of microbreweries pop up. So uh, everything's become pretty hyper-local overall. Uh, a lot of these little breweries, brew pubs have opened up and actually the system that we're speaking of right now is, is the importer slash brewery and they sell to the distributor or wholesaler who's us. And then we actually sell to retail accounts, which would be stores, mini markets, all the way to a bar, restaurant, and that's how the process is set up. Um, some of these brew pubs, however, they actually are able to brew their own beer and they're able to sell it because of their own restaurant uh, located in the brewery. Do you know, it has to do with prohibition, right? The, the fact that the beer industry is set up that way with three different elements, and that's something to do with coming out of prohibition back in the 1920s, right? 
Uh, absolutely. It's uh, back in the 1920s, obviously, uh, Johnny Bootlegger in his basement was able to kind of dictate the sales. Uh, they can dictate the pricing. is almost like monopolizing it. So, um, and also quality-wise, you didn't know what you were getting back in the day uh, in particular. So, yeah, it, it helps the process, helps sales overall. Um, there's there's no no craziness going on in the back scenes where we can uh, – we can help and actually retailers overall are able to have competition when it comes to pricing. So there's, there's no monopolization or dictation when it comes to pricing and um, quality overall. What are the main brands that McCraith beverages handles? Well, uh, you know, I'm just going to start and say that we recently picked up Sullivan's. So I got, I got to talk Sullivan's of course Uh, they're doing great for us, but yeah, the, the, Big brands that we have carried for quite a few years. Actually, McCrate started with Old Mill, basically. Old Mill was was the staple. Uh, we were selling a million cases of Old Mill a year. Old uh, yes, Old Milwaukee. We are the biggest Old Milwaukee distributor uh, in the country. Wow. So, right? Little known fact. Uh, but Molson Coors, we have Miller Lite. We have Coors Light, Molson. Labatt is a big one for us as well. Uh, Constellation, so Corona Brands, um, and our hometown heroes, of course, is Saranac. Utica Club is our number one draft. Uh, the Yingling, uh, America's oldest brewery, if you want to talk Prohibition as well. Um, I, there, there are so many that I, I probably will get a lashing on for not mentioning, actually, at the end of the day, if somebody's listening. But uh, we also have a bunch of local craft breweries, and um, it's, just, it's just continually growing just continually. I mean, it's ever rotating to some uh, breweries pop up, some breweries um, you know, start to lose sales. So it's, uh, we definitely have to manage our portfolio continually. How do you select your portfolio? Do the, the brewers come to you or do you seek them out? How, how does that work? It's a, it's a huge mixture, actually. Uh, it could be word of mouth. There could be a brewery who's good friends with another brewery and they're like, Hey, McCrate's doing a great job for us. Uh, we're seeing great sales. If you want us to get you in contact, um, some breweries don't want to use a distributor and they just want to, some, they're actually able to self distribute. So some of them want that sales force, however, where we just have a wider range of um, sales with our sales reps going into on and off premise. So it's a lot harder for smaller breweries to, to use that force, use the sales force. Um, so it, it basically is a word of mouth. Like we have buried acorn out in Syracuse, New York. Uh, they're good friends with Willow rock and they told Willow rock, Hey, McCray's doing a great job. Started the transition where we started speaking with them and we tried their product and they're great guys over there. So we ended up distributing them as well. So it could be something like that. Or it could be in the Albany market, there's another distributor out there who will tell us, hey, this brewery in this market is doing really well for us. You should check it out. So we'll contact them and we'll talk to them and give them a proposition of, uh, hey, we'd like to service these seven counties with your your brand. And it all depends on if they're already serviced in the counties because everybody's got to write a contract up. So we can't step on any toes if... if um, Saranac is already distributed down in Delaware County, then we can't sign them for them, but we can have them for the surrounding counties. So, It strikes me, Brett, that uh, 
maybe even more so with a company like McCraith with, you know, you're, you're there in the Utica area, you're also distributing way up in the other side of the Adirondacks, really, the northeastern corner of New York. Yep. Trucking uh, must be a big part of the, the wholesaling industry, right? And huge, huge part, huge part of the, the industry. I think it's a very um, undersold part of the industry, too. People don't really uh, think about it because somebody might go to the store and be like, oh, my God, this this four pack is is fifteen ninety nine or twenty ninety nine? Well, they don't. They probably don't realize that uh, shipping cost is, is everything, especially if you're coming out of somewhere busy like in New York City. Or what we've seen is actually breweries out of California. Uh, shipping is everything because you're including the shipping cost. You're including actually sales tax, whether it's a state tax or an import tax. Uh, and then there's always going to be a handling fee that we're charged as well. So everything really adds up at the end of the day and um, it becomes very competitive shipping wise too. We do have our like third party car carriers that really uh, we go to, but um, bigger brands like Molson Coors, I mean, if you're talking pennies on a case, it adds up at the end of the year. Um, it can be hundreds of thousands of dollars with the amount of cases that are going out. But some of these smaller craft brands, uh, it could be like two to four dollars a case that we're charged just to ship it here. So um, that's where a, a lot of the pricing comes into effect is behind the logistics. And I would think also, Brett, you have to keep in consideration. Uh, well, I mean, it's not fresh produce. You're not shipping, you know, corn ears of corn around, but it's a product that needs to be moved in a certain amount of time, right? You got to keep stuff cold and fresh if you can, correct? Absolutely. Um, certain suppliers do require that we have cold storage and we keep it in our cooler. Um, other, other brands we are able to have just out in the warehouse and it all depends on the style of beer as well. Um, IPAs in particular and the market is, they're smart now. Uh, this isn't several years ago. You could put a beer out there and they're not going to check for, oh, this is a couple months old. This is uh, one year old. Uh, the, the market knows their brands. They, they've grown with the industry. So when uh, somebody walks into a beverage center and they're looking for today's new IPA, uh, IPAs really fall off after a month or two. Uh, the hops that they use, it's just an abundance of hops in there. So the hop falls off and then it just becomes this malt bomb and people really just, they, they're looking for stuff like that. Obviously, it's just the style of beer um, imports. Uh, if you're familiar with, well, obviously Sullivan's, right. but uh, most imports, you don't see an import IPA because that's a brand that that's a style that really falls off right away. Uh, when you're looking at stouts or even certain ales, they have a much longer shelf life. So it, it makes logistics a lot easier for that. And that's why you see majority imports are going to be of those styles. Right. How do you manage having all those, uh, uh, brands, you know, the multiple brands. How do you keep them all? Uh, them yeah. all Keeping them happy. Uh, there's a method to the madness. And at the end of the day, you know, it's uh, it's not always the easiest. Somebody's always going to have something to say. It's it's a lot of people to work with. And it's a lot of, lot of people to, to make happy. It's a lot of mouths to feed, basically. Uh, I'm a firm believer in squeaky wheel gets the grease, too. The more communication, the better off everybody's going to be. Um, but keeping them happy, it's just uh, it, we directly work with suppliers and we speak with them on a basically a daily basis. Hey, what's coming out? What do you have going on? 
Uh, they give us basically a, a month or two month lead time. This beer is coming out. This is what we're doing. And it's a, it's a hand in hand relationship. They, they help us. We help them because it's an ever rotating industry. Now there's always a new beer coming out. There's always something else people are looking for. There's not a lot of, uh, a lot of product. Uh, people are, people are always drinking something different. There's, there's not, not a lot of, uh, I'm going to drink this Bud Light the rest of my life. People are actually trying different things. So um, it, is, it is a relationship-built industry. Uh, if you get along with the, the supplier and the supplier gets along with the distributor, uh, it helps for a healthy work relationship. But, yeah, it's, it's tough because everybody's got their own goals. Everybody's looking for something different. Um, they want to get in chain stores and you have to get authorizations for these stores. They want to get in certain bars. Uh, there's just, there's just so much to it. There is a lot of madness behind it. So it's a, it's a working relationship for sure. And Brett, tell me, and you don't have to, uh, you know, uh, suck up the Sullivan's here, but where in the Pantheon, where in the mix of products you have the Sullivan's Brewing Company? Oh, this is my, my baby. This is my shirt. <laughs> so it all it takes is a shirt to get you going. <laughs> hey, hey, yeah, you know, a little buttering up here and there doesn't hurt for sure. No, no, not Where at all. Sullivan's in the, in the I, was, I was not bribed to sell Sullivan's, I promise. <laughs> Where in the mix of uh, beers that you handle is Sullivan's with its kind of unique profile as a imported craft ale from Ireland? How does that fall into the mix, do you think? Um, Sullivan's in particular, I really like in our portfolio. And this is something that we have to look at a lot too, is how does this supplier, how does this brewery fit into our portfolio? Because I actually didn't touch base on this is, uh, we, we do have to figure out how we can justify a brand in our portfolio. Um, there are distributors who will just carry just about anybody. They'll be like, all right, we'll bring you in. We'll bring you in. And then their, their portfolio just becomes thick and, and you can only carry so much from so many people before you're just not, um, you're not supporting the brand very well. So that's where uh, we look at it. And, and at McCraith Beverages in, in particular, we, we, don't, um, we don't really just pick up any brand. We, we really try to keep it as concise as possible. And with Sullivan's in particular, um, what we were excited about with Sullivan's was not only is it kind of, it's, it's a craft brand that wasn't really well known in upstate New York or maybe in the U.S. really. Um, and it's also an import, which we were, we were actually lacking in our portfolio. So uh, the combination between that is you can go to just about any account and depending on what the account's looking for, hey, I'm looking for a craft brand, hey, I'm looking for an import, I'm looking for a unique style, especially their, their maltings red. Oh my God, the, the flavor alone, um, I, I'm absolutely blown away by it. And uh, especially in central New York and Utica, uh, we do love our St. Patrick's Day. And uh, that was something that I know that it's, it's going to help sales tremendously, especially that time of the year. So certain things like that is how we look at bringing in different brands. It, it's uh, now in, in the COVID world, you know, we're nine months into it now. And I would imagine that it, you mentioned a little bit how it's, impacted uh, a distributor like McCraith, especially I would think in terms of on-premise sale and off-premise sales, right? COVID has to play a big role in, in what, what you need and where you, where you put the beer. It, it definitely has. Uh, it's, it's played a role in uh, just about every aspect possible. And we mentioned the three-tier system. It's, uh, it's actually affected every single tier of that too, because you 
getting to the importers, producers. Uh, these breweries aren't producing as much beer as possible because they know that the volume is not there anymore. I mean, it's not like they can just make uh, a batch of like 20 barrels or, or just a limited amount. Uh, when they're brewing, they're brewing mass capacity. So they're coming out with these beers and it's not selling as quick as possible. So, you know, what's happening with it is it's, it's going bad. So they're wasting product, they're wasting money. So they're not producing as much as they, they could. And then you get the distributor side, our side. Um, we're not bringing in as much in for at least draft. Um, I will say that off-premise, so chain stores, uh, discount beverage centers are, are flourishing right now because people are drinking at home. They're not going out. So um, sales and off-premise have been, been very good. Um, I say that lightly because obviously on-premise has, has suffered tremendously. Sure. Um, but, but the sales for off-premise, um, if you are a supplier who has packaged beer, that's where you are, are focusing right now is you are selling as much package as possible and uh, you kind of adapt and survive basically. Back with you, Brett, is um, you mentioned we, we talked before the interview, you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan. I am. I didn't know if you're going to bring that up or not. Yeah, we're uh, we're sitting pretty on top. We look good at <laughs> four and one. So, uh, big game tomorrow against Dallas tomorrow night. Uh, I'm excited. We're, we're playing a third stringer. So, in, in Philly fashion, we should probably end up losing that game. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it's going to happen. So it's it's been a, a, a funny year for sure. Um, but yeah, it, it feels good to be on top. That's for sure. Your market area, though, Central New York, there's a lot of Bills fans out that way, right? They might a lot of Bills fans. Bills are good for business. Uh, I, I respect the Bills this year. They're they're doing great. Why is it uh, good for business? Why are the Bills good for business? Do you think Bills are great for business? Uh, the reason is because Bills fans. Uh, the, the better the Bills do, uh, the more Bills fans are going out. They support it. Bills actually do have some backings, uh, not only with Sullivan's, but you do see them promoted through somebody like Labatt. Uh, so in the beverage industry, in particular. Uh, people get behind that, whether it's a promotional on-premise thing going on in a bar um, uh, and in stores as well. You'll see bills promoted. So the better the bills are doing, the, the more excited bills fans are. And I'm sure they're drinking to, to uh, whether it's to celebrate and how well they're doing or they're just preparing to jump on one of those tables. It's, it's, uh, it's good for business for sure. But, yes, our, our uh, market – our uh, seven counties over here are definitely pretty dominant Bills fans. I'd say Giant fans are, are pretty – it's a mix between Bills and Giants. But obviously, uh, Giants fans have been kind of quiet for the past couple of years for sure. Yeah, I'm going to put that to the test. I've got a tentative plans to be down there at, at Killebrew. In, in, uh, is that in the Utica area for uh, like yep. all night a couple of Thursdays away with Matt Tomano? So I'm looking for maybe I'll get a chance to run into you down there. Yeah, no, I, I would love to hang out with you guys down there. I live a mile down the, the road, so uh, that's that's definitely one of my post-ups for sure. Great. Hey, Brett, thanks for this. Great to talk to you. Nice to meet you. Thank you very much. It's nice to meet you as well. I look forward to talking with you in the future and, uh, and anything you guys ever need. Just – reach out. Thanks, Brett. Brett Tupai, Senior Brand Manager at McCraith Beverages in the Utica area. That'll do it for this week's installment of Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. We thank you very much for uh, joining us today and want to thank our guests as well, including Brett Tupai of McCraith uh, Beverages in the Utica area. Learned a lot about uh, the distribution of beer and how it got its origins back in the uh, 
outcome of Prohibition way back 100 years ago, right? Thanks to Brett Tupai for talking to us about that. And our thanks to Mike Giannitti, one of the smartest analysts of pro football and really professional sports you can find. He's the man behind SpotTrack.com. That's the website, S-P-O-T-R-A-C.com. He's got his own podcast, the SpotTrack podcast. He's got a uh, website. He's got a Twitter site. Mike Giannitti of SpotTrack, we thank him. We're brought to you by Sullivan's Brewing Company, the makers of Maltings Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Irish Gold Ale, and Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. Available in stores and taverns all over upstate New York and throughout much of the country now. Look for Sullivan's Irish Red Ale. And our thanks to our producer, Pat Feldball. We'll see you here next week for another installment of the Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. You've been listening to John Murphy and Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's all about the Bills and the beard.